This is Baby Hour, radio for parenting. Hello, and a very warm welcome to Baby Hour. I'm absolutely privileged today to have to introduce you to my special guest. Her name is Lila Saperstein, and she's an audiologist. She's got a passion for helping families navigate life and parenting at the intersection of hearing loss, special needs, and other health challenges. Hi, Lila, and welcome to Baby Hour. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Okay, we're going to start with some of the questions that you're normally normally asked by parents and by carers. Um, how is hearing loss actually detected, especially in, in a baby? I mean, how would you know? I'm going to tell you a funny story after that, but do tell us, how do you know, you know, what, what kind of tests can you do in order to know if the baby has a hearing problem? Sure. So in most parts of the world, every baby that's born has a hearing screening at the hospital or the place where they're born or within the first few days that they're born. And that screening, we can tell through using a kind of instruments and machines, an automatic response of if the nerves are working, if the ear is working, it's kind of like we send a little sound in and a healthy typical ear will send an echo back that we can detect through that machine. And that can just, uh, yeah, that gives us a rough understanding if there's hearing or if we need to do more testing. Okay, so it's 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 not as complicated as it would sound. It's not a, it's 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 quite a simple test now. Obviously, in modern times, it's not a complicated test. I wanted to just tell you a quick story, which I, I find very very amusing. A friend of mine, she's a grandma like me. She was asked to her for her firstborn grandson. Her daughter said, "Can you babysit her one?" The daughter was hovering about, you know, the newborn and hovering about in the background before she actually went out to where she was going. So she said to her mom, "Can you bring the food into the baby or something like this?" So her mom came. Uh, her, the baby was the back. Her back was to the grandma, my friend, and she was walking in with a tray of food. I don't know what happened. She tripped over the tray of food, fell down, and of course the baby burst into tears and she got all upset and the mother came running screaming what have you done you're so what have you done you're so careless you're so you know what have you done she said you know what you don't need to pay a lot of money to, to get your baby's hearing tested you know she can hear <laughs> so that, that was a, a nice little antidote nice little story there uh, yeah so- I guess in 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 less uh, well developed countries, they maybe do test babies by coming up from behind and seeing if there's a reaction, you know, making a noise from behind. If they don't have the equipment to test, as we do, you know, in the modern world. Okay, so um, you've you explained to us how you detect the hearing, and and what and is it is it a clear yes they hear or no they don't hear or do you, do you I actually when they when they when they're born can you actually tell us they've got less hearing or more hearing or is it just like yes they can hear or no they can't they can't hear okay yeah so that test we we say that if some if the baby passes it then we know they have generally good hearing we we can expect that they'll hear well or maybe there's some chance that they can have a little bit or a mild hearing loss but in general if someone passes that then they should have good hearing and that's why those tests like you said of something falling and the baby startles is not enough because just because a child can hear very loud sounds doesn't tell us that they can hear the sounds of speech and all the sounds that they need that they would need to hear. Um, so that test gives us a pass 
And if someone doesn't pass it, then we need to do further testing to find out how okay. much they're doing. Okay, so you're saying if, if they don't pass the initial test, then we're already starting to look into further you know, possibilities that they're going, they're going to be deaf or they will have serious hearing problems. Okay, so as the baby grows a little bit older, um, what signs would, would the parents uh, look for in, in you know, looking for the, for, for sight, I, you know, for sight, they will look, you know, they would, maybe they would move a toy around the, the baby, you know, close to the baby and watch if the eyes are following, but it's kind of difficult to watch if the ears are following uh, the sounds. So fill us in a bit, Lilach, um, what, right. what should the parents be looking for? Let's keep a close eye on reaching those milestones. And we want to see babbling. We want to hear the, that the baby, like you said, startles to sounds and is attentive to sounds around them at times. Um, but really, it's the speech and language development. So we want to see first, first words at around a year. And if there's anything that is um, delayed or that the child isn't speaking uh, the way that other children their age are, then that's a sign to just go and get a hearing test and see if that's what's going on or not. But but if, if the parents are not seeing anything, if everything is, is normal, then there's no need. Like the the, the I was talking to the the optiologist the other day, and she said after nine months, all babies should really get an eye test. There's no need. Uh, you're saying for uh, for the hearing test, there's no need to have a hearing test if there's no signs of um, problems. Right. If there's no history of hearing loss in the family and there's no speech and language delays, and everything else looks like the child can hear and responds to sounds, then there's no reason to, to get a, a screening at that point for everyone, yeah. Because that's what we do now at birth is to try and identify those. Okay, so once you've identified the problem at birth, I, I imagine, I'm not sure you're going to tell me, that if you identify a problem at birth, there's not a lot you can do for the first uh, few months, really. Well, if this is um, a hearing loss that can benefit from having a hearing aid, then that can be fit as early as uh, a few weeks, maybe a month or two months. Yes, you can have a hearing aid on a very young baby. Um, may, you know, usually by the time they get identified and all the testing, they're around three months. But that's that's when we want. We want to see that the we want to be able to give that auditory system, the whole ear and the whole brain, as much stimulation as possible it would have to match to what kind of hearing loss there is, but that there is a possibility of, of intervention early on. There is. Wow. I'm absolutely shocked, but that brings me on to another question. But I mean, how would you keep on the hearing aid? Is it the kind that you see on children that are kind of like a little button, you know, or a clip? Oh, no. No, no, so no. it's, it's so, so explain to us. Yeah. Sorry. For little babies, there's behind the ear hearing aids with a piece that sits behind and then a mold of the ear. That, that goes in the front. That way that mold can be changed out as they grow and not, not the whole hearing aid. I see. So there's no problem of, of, of when they're getting bathed or something or if it gets wet or damaged or anything like that. No, they no. don't they not get wet. So they, you don't use them anytime they're in the bath or, or when they might get wet. But for wow, the other time. Modern technology. That's absolutely amazing. So as yeah, as you say, so if if you if you see that the baby has a problem, then then and is is it common practice to fit um uh, to fit hearing it, or do we wait a little to see if situations will change, or does it depend on every situation? Is it is 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 it a one on one basis? Yeah, it would depend on what the diagnosis is and why it's so important to see an audiologist 
and get a full workup to see which part of the ear is the problem. What kind of hearing loss are we talking about? And then we would do things based on what's going on. Based on the results. And is there is there cases where it's maybe just one ear, one ear good and one ear not good? Does this also happen? Yes, that does happen. In fact, that's one of the things that usually gets um, underlooked and unidentified for a long time. And sometimes we see children that are six or seven or eight years old and in classroom is when they start to notice the, the problems of, hey, there's only one ear, so they can't know where the sounds are coming from and they're having trouble at school, but they de develop speech and language normally because of that one good ear. So that's, yeah, that's something that does happen. We, we want to keep an eye out for that. We want to keep an eye out for the ear. <laughs> one, yeah. one, eye, one good eye out for one good ear. Yeah. And also, so, so, for, so if a child is diagnosed with a hearing problem or a hearing loss problem, what, what's the prognosis? Or is, again, is that on a one-to-one -one basis? Like, uh, um, like for the eyes, the eyes, maybe if a child has a squint, they wear a patch for a while, maybe they wear glasses. Or like my grandson, he, he's now nearly 13, but he's still wearing glasses. He's, he's fine with them, obviously. He's worn glasses since he was very small. But what's the, what's the situation with the hearing if they're not hearing, uh, you know, at the beginning? Or does it, what's the prognosis? Okay. For some children, there can even be a medical reason that might have a medical um, intervention, maybe a medication or even a surgery that can help with the kind of hearing loss they have. But more commonly... Hearing losses are permanent and they're part of damage to the cochlea or the nerve so that they would be irreversible. And in those cases, what we can do is to try and use hearing aids or even cochlear implants that can then give them access to the sounds around them. And that is something that requires a lot of intervention, a lot of therapy and rehabilitation to learn how to listen and learn how to use those sounds. And it's also important to know that for some families, uh, the deafness wouldn't be seen as a problem if there's another way to communicate. And in families where sign language is the mode of communication or other family members are deaf and there's a different kind of culture, um, you know, not everyone sees hearing loss as a loss. Some people actually see deaf babies as part of their community and similar to them as a deaf gain. So it really is case by case. Um, however, most babies that are born deaf are born to hearing families, and the hearing families want their children to hear and speak like them. So in that case, there's a lot of interventions that need to go into it, and it's, it can be complicated, and it's a long journey. But a lot of people, um, when they get the support they need and the resources, then they can you know, help their child reach the milestones of speech and language and education and do everything that any child can do. Okay, so I've got a couple of quick questions. One, um, hearing, and I believe, is a lot to do with balance as well. When when the when the children when the child starts to walk or uh, you know start to move around and you know play, a child child with less hearing, their balance they will have balance problems. Is this correct? So the ear inside the inner ear, the cochlea is the part where we hear and right connected to it, attached to it, is our vestibular system, the balance. So often there will be uh, children with hearing loss who also have issues with their balance, but not necessarily. And also vice versa. There can be children with balance disorders whose hearing is fine. Uh, but yeah, that's part of the workup as well to see if that's also going on for the child. 
Okay, and one and another question. Obviously, we're in modern times. We're in Facebook times, and we're in computer times, and all this. Um, uh, how do how do deaf children? You know, how do they react with screen time and stuff like that? I know we've got all sorts of ways that the you know the telephone system that they can hear. Obviously, they can SMS, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, wh- how do we? Uh, how does the technology work with the hearing loss? Okay, so again, you kind of have two answers. If a, a deaf child uses a manual signed form of communication, then the video phones, they've been using them long, long before <laughs> before we use uh, Zoom well, and we all assuming, of Before well, we were assuming like we are now. Yeah. Because it's a much more visual language that's accessible to deaf children. Um, but if you're speaking about deaf and hard of hearing children that use an oral and auditory modality that want to speak and, and hear and listen and speak, um, then there are th- lots of devices that can actually stream the audio directly into their hearing aid or their cochlear implant. Wow. Kind of- it's like visual, visual reality, but uh, audio reality, if you like, like visual reality, but audio reality. Exactly, exactly like that. And there's also the new word. (laughs) (laughs) There's important services like captioning, and those are things that are important for accessibility. Okay, so another question I'm going to ask you before we go towards wrapping up is um, you see often on Facebook, on Instagram, on some of the other social medias, a baby that uh, has never heard and then they will put the hearing aid on. Well, I've worked in television and radio for most of my life and I know that what you see is not exactly what you get. So I'm wondering how close to what we are seeing, you know, a baby and his eyes lighting up and crying, how close is that to reality? I'm so glad you brought that up because that is one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, For most children, that is not, it could be not a very dramatic reaction at all. They might not even understand what they're hearing or what's happening. A lot of children cry because they're overwhelmed by something that's different and new and everyone's touching them and looking at them. So the ones that you're seeing are the cases where, oh, there's a dramatic, interesting uh, reaction. Probably t- there's probably been about 10 takes of the, you know, of that film. You know, it's, it's probably right. been rehearsed and t- take, like, as I said, I've worked many, many, many years in the industry. Yeah. And I know that, uh, unfortunately, sadly, close to 90, 95% of what we see is not exactly not exactly what's happening. So, I mean, obviously it brings people's attention to the cause and if they're collecting funds or whatever, it's, it's a very good tool. It certainly draws people in. Wow, well, here was a baby, very sad little face, little Johnny was sitting in the chair and they stick, they, they put in behind his ear, they stick this uh, attachment onto his ear and all of a sudden Johnny is jumping up and down and, you know, and grabbing every toy that he can can and he's laughing with his mum. I mean, of course, it's a it's a lovely advertisement for any charity or something like this. But in reality, yeah. you say it's yeah. You let it. You tell us. In reality, yeah, I feel like there's two problems with those videos. The first problem is that it sets up an expectation for parents that that might happen for their child and in their journey. But then they see the realities is that it takes weeks to get used to it and a lot of appointments and, and, you know, really working hard 
to get the child to accept the device. They might throw it off and not care about it, but the parents have this expectation that they'll just do what the device, you know, what the doctors say and get the device and they'll be on their way. And it's really not like that. And the second problem with it is like you said, that the boy is sad and alone, but deaf children don't have to be sad and alone if they're given an access and communication mode. Um, it's a problem that sign language is seen both as an inspirational thing, but also then not given access to for deaf children and their families to learn. So, so what, it's a very difficult if history. you've never had it and you don't miss it. But what you're saying is if you've never had it, then you don't miss it. Yeah. And to look at a child that has hearing loss or is born deaf as someone who, um, you know, needs saving or need, needs fixing is is a little bit problematic. <laughs> it's a bit derogatory. And then the other thing would be obviously the cost. I imagine that these devices are not cheap. Are not yeah, cheap. absolutely. That's thousand dollars would be uh, included in the price of the surgery so often it will be you know a very big uh, and then there's the upkeep I imagine there's the maintenance and the upkeep and uh, whatever and all the the, the audiologists that they're going to need along the way until they, they settle etc etc so we're talking a good few thousands a good few Absolutely. tens of thousands yeah and then every few years because they need to be updated and grow of course of course of course okay we're just about to wrap up here so i'm just going to ask you i mean how can you protect your children's hearing and indeed how can you protect uh, adults our own hearing can you give us a a couple of words on that uh, dr lilach absolutely so we want to reduce the amount of exposure to very loud sounds and in, in the olden days, <laughs> you know, you used to know the only loud sounds that you really were exposed to was machinery um, and, disco, and things disco. like <laughs> Disco sounds. Yeah, but I'm saying, you know, before we had um, digital sound equipment for music, it was, it was much more different kind of industrial noises. But now every single person... It has earbuds and Bluetooth and all the different devices that are going right into their ear. And that could be really loud and damaging over time. So we want to have, you know, limit the volume as much as possible so that if you have headphones on, you can still hear someone that's three feet away from you. It shouldn't be so loud that you're also blocking out the sounds around you. Yeah, that's something that really annoys me if I'm sitting on the tube or on the underground and the person next to me, I can hear their music and my God, they've got such bad taste in music and I can hear this thump, 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 thump. And, you know, sometimes I go to, I feel like pulling it out of their ears, you know, get yourself a good set of headphones. You know, why should I have to suffer, you know, uh, this noise? And And they're also going to suffer from hearing loss. (laughs) And another final question, obviously, I mean, I don't imagine, I don't think anybody cleans their earphones very often. Their, I mean, surely there must be, it's carrying around bacteria and all sorts, and they're sticking it in their ear and back in their pocket and in their ear and, you know, in their bag and goodness knows where else. And I, I'm no different from anybody else. I, I can't remember the last time that I cleaned my earphones. No, I don't actually wear them very often, but I can't remember the last time I cleaned them. Yeah, so that would be a good idea to clean them once in a while. But also in terms of cleaning, do not take out all the wax. People who are using Q-tips and all these things, it's actually supposed to be wax there to protect the ear. 
So we don't want to scratch the ear or pull out all the wax because actually most of the time you're pushing most of it in and you're also taking away the natural protection because our wax actually has antibacterial properties. It actually cleans out and protects the ear canal. Okay, just before we wind up, that just reminds me of something else. Actually, we're talking about the ear cleaning, but I saw, as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm well, I'm a journalist by profession. Uh, you can see, I, I saw that there's an ear cleaning utensil that came out that you don't, that, no, no, no. Okay, yeah. on that note, Lilach is, shaking, Lilach is shaking her head. No, no, no. I'm going to thank you ever so much for joining us here on Baby Hour. I hope you're going to come and visit us again here. Thank you ever so much for being with us. You're tuned to Baby Hour. I'm Carolyn N. And thank you all for joining us today. We're going to be back with you again very, very soon. This is Baby Hour, radio for parenting.